after it was, or I was like, ah, we're doing something else. I, I don't remember what happened, and it was just, we jumped into a different book. Because Acts, even though it's full of stories, action-packed, there's healings, and there's power, and there's tongues, and the Holy Spirit is doing this, that, and the other. There's arrests, there's deaths, there's murders, uh, shipwrecks, uh, disagreements, arguments among the apostles, figuring things out as, as they're the beginning of the church. Um, crazy things happening. There's politics. It's really difficult sometimes to pick up on what Luke, the author, wants us to get from it. And that makes it difficult to preach. Here's the text that's really hard, okay? In, in uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read 12 through 26, 12 through 26, where uh, there's a prayer meeting. Peter calls the brothers to attention, and he decides we need to do something, and you'll, you'll see what that is as we read it. And then we'll take our time to just unpack it and figure out what, what's going on here. And I trust that by the time we're done, you will be encouraged. So speaking about the uh, disciples, verse 12, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, <clears throat> they went up to the upper room where they, were say, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer with, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Israel, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You feeling encouraged? <laughs> okay. What's the point here? And the part of the tricky point um, and what what most preaching students know that they, they get the sense I know we're not supposed to do this this is a trap this is a trick from our professors are we supposed to say hey when you're in a difficult decision and you've got choice a and choice b 
Like these two guys, they whittle down the choice of these two guys, right? We've, we've got 12 apostles, but Judas betrayed. Now we're down to 11. We need a 12th, and we've got these two really good candidates, uh, so let's cast lots. And cast lots was basically an, an ancient form of dice, or like we would say flip a coin, okay? And wherever the coin if, lands, that was God's decision. They flipped the coin, and they're like, here you go, Matthias. And then Justice walked away like, okay? Is that how we should make decisions? Is that how we're supposed to choose elders? Is this how we're supposed to have prayer meetings, end the prayer meeting with coin flips? No, no that's not the point at all. And what gets even weirder is verse 26 is, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he became the new 12th apostle. All right, Matthias. Never hear from him again. Never even hear about him again. The first and last time you hear about Matthias is right here. That doesn't mean he's unimportant. It just doesn't make sense why why Luke thought, let me put this here. Let me make sure I take sacred space (laughs) to put in this passage about uh, casting lots or rolling dice It landed on this guy, and then we never hear it again. And then we get to the passage we're real familiar with, where the tongues fall on them, and Peter preaches his first sermon. 3,000 people come to the Lord. I mean, from there on, it's action-packed. The passage before is really famous, where Jesus ascends after telling them, hey, here's your mission. Go preach the gospel to all the nations. And then he goes up, and the angel's like, why are you still staring? Like, get to work. Before the Spirit descends on them, we have this weird passage in between. And in fact, here's, here's the key. It is because this passage is in between those two famous passages that help us understand what it means. And to help you understand that without this, we've got a major problem in our hands. That's what we don't understand. Peter's like, hey, we've got a problem, and this problem needs to be fixed. We have a hole, and that hole needs to be plugged in order for things to move forward. And for things to advance in God's kingdom, we need this middle this middle piece here. Let me explain that real quickly so you can see what I'm talking about. In the beginning of chapter 1, Luke makes it clear that this is his sequel to the Gospel of Luke, and uh, he's going to record Christ's ascension, and uh, he promises the disciples in verse 5 that John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I'm going to ascend, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to come over you, take over, and it's going to be awesome. Okay, you're going to be the church that I've trained you to be. You're going to teach the way I've trained you to teach, but you're not going to do that until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, so you're going to wait for him. And then they ask in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know about God's kingdom. And is it now? We've waited all these years, and then you came, and we were like excited that we had a king, and then you died. You let them kill you. We were confused, but ah, we get it, resurrection. You defeated death. We would have never even, that's amazing. That is amazing. Now you're resurrected, and now we're all going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Samson to destroy hundreds of Philistines, the same Holy Spirit that empowered David to write psalms and calm Saul's spirit and fight mighty battles, that same Holy Spirit that rushed upon your Old Testament saints is all going to be on all of us, young and old. So resurrected king, 
that death can't touch, and then a Holy Spirit-empowered people, that's a kingdom. Are we ready now? Because Rome isn't going to be able to handle this. Are we ready? And then Jesus' answer confuses everybody because it's not a yes or no answer. All right? Now, kids, you get frustrated when parents don't give you a yes or no answer. Sometimes, I mean, if Jesus did it, it could be a wise thing. He doesn't want to give them a yes or no, but what does he tell them in verse 7? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See how he brings their attention back to what he was telling them at first. You're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Now, here's why this has everything to do with you, I think. Because some people take this to mean that the disciples are asking, when are you going to give ethnic Israel their actual geographical land back with an actual temple and we're actual throne with you sitting on it and Israel is going to take over and be back in their prime spot? And then Jesus goes, well, don't worry about that. For now, we're going to do something else called the church. A big time out. Don't worry about Israel. We'll get back to that later, thousands of years later, millennia later, right? And in the meantime, I'm going to do something else you all never heard of. I'm going to call it the church. That's one option, and that's probably the most popular option these days, not throughout the history of the church. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is saying, you want to talk kingdom, but you don't understand times and seasons. And right now, it's a season of a big influx of people that are not ethnic Israel into this kingdom, and this kingdom is going to grow and expand. And when it's done growing and expanding the way I want to grow and expand it, then I'll consummate all things uh, in my return. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Now, that's you and me. That's Christian Fellowship Church. We're in a long lineage of Jesus fulfilling this with bringing his Holy Spirit, advancing his kingdom. This isn't a separate thing. I don't think God has two tracks. You've got Israel people and then church people. You've got this kingdom, you've got another kind of kingdom. I, I think it's one big tree, okay? And you graft in, you can lop off, but it's one big tree of faith in Christ. That tree is God's kingdom. Now it'll consummate in the end, like we see in the book of Revelation, but right now he's talking about how it's going to roll out. And it's going to roll out in power. It's going to roll out with the Holy Spirit on his people. And it's going to roll out not just in Jerusalem, but all the way to the ends of the earth. It's going to roll out everywhere. And like Isa just talked about, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's, it's like this uh, advancing army in the world that can't be stopped. Why not skip to chapter 2? In chapter 2, they're waiting for that empowerment, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they go. What's the big deal with this middle piece uh, about the 11? Well, what Luke is saying is they're awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. The church is going to advance, but it can't advance because there's this problem. And the problem is the 12 apostles that Jesus chose are down to 11. Okay, And that can raise some certain concerns. Jesus chose 12, but now it's 11. Does that mean Jesus loses or he loses some or the church can be defeated in some way? What do you do with these setbacks, with these problems? And the, the purpose of this passage is for a couple things. One, Luke is saying 
it was foreseen, man. This wasn't something that God is going, oh, the church advancing is not a chess match between Jesus and Satan, and they're both really good, and we have the sense that Jesus is going to win, but we just don't know how many pieces he's going to lose, and it might be close. Every move Jesus makes is calculated. And even if it looks like he's losing some pieces, he's not like, oh, I didn't see that. This is why I'm terrible at chess. I, I can't think past two moves ahead. I didn't see any of it coming. I'm like, oh, very frustrating. Jesus isn't like that, playing one move at a time and seeing what Satan does next, okay? And it's purposeful. It's purposeful. If it looks like Jesus loses a queen, it would be foolish for Satan to go, ha, ha, Satan put the, Jesus put the queen there in that open lane. All right, I'm losing everybody who doesn't play chess. Okay, but listen, <laughs> listen, it's a calculated move. So there's a major problem and there's a major fix. And this is Luke saying, anytime there's problems, there's always fixes. Why? Because Christ's church will advance. And the biggest problem, the biggest loophole is the Judas betrayal. And if that got plugged, if that hole got plugged, it's always going to advance. That's the point of this passage. Let's look at it one piece at a time. In verses 12 to 14, we see that Jesus uh, or uh, Luke is laying out the disciples' names, the apostles' names. Uh, There's 120 disciples, right? But these are apostles, capital A, uh, the the ones that Jesus chose. And there's a lot of double names. There's two Simons. There's, you know, there's two Judases. That's why they say Judas Iscariot versus Judas, uh, what is uh, Judas, the son of James at the end of verse 13. Just making sure you know that's not the other Judas. This is the good Judas, right? But there's there's one missing in that list. Um, So there's a vacancy there, and Luke is presenting that as the problem. That's what Peter stands up for in verse 15. Hey, we've got this problem, and we need to figure out uh, how to replace this person that we're missing. But Peter makes an interesting point, and this is deep, but it's, it's important. Peter makes an interesting point that that vacancy was necessary, okay? It was, it was predetermined. I really don't want to step in a theological landmine that I, that I can't, I don't have time to clean up, but it, it, was, it was a predetermined, calculated, like I said, step. That doesn't mean God forced Judas. But it also doesn't mean that God was like, ah, man, I thought Judas was a good guy. Hmm. Okay? And Peter is saying it's necessary for that to have happened. So imagine these people, they're disheartened. They're um, hurting by the fact of, of this loss, perhaps. But he says in verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became the traitor. He became the guide who brought the the soldiers to Jesus, and uh, they betrayed him. Now, I I don't know about you, but have you ever read David's Psalms and like, oh, he called it Judas? I didn't. You know, not until I read Peter, and I'm like, wait, Peter is reading David's Psalms and going, oh, he called it. That's weird, right? Do you see why we give this to students? Like, hey, go ahead, try that. 
before you graduate. That's hard. He quotes two Psalms here in verse 20. He, he cites um, a couple Psalms there. But let me, let's not go there quite yet. Let's not go there quite yet. I want to I lay out the background for the importance of what's happening here and why it's, it's a big deal. And that is that this, this is not about choosing elders. We're never going to flip a coin to choose elders here, okay? Uh, even though I've heard of churches doing that, like, hey, we had two guys and we couldn't decide, so we flipped the coin. I'm like, you can't make room for another dude? Whatever, I don't know, but they, this church out in Seattle somewhere, they literally flipped a coin for an elder, I don't know. And they cited this verse, they're like, hey, Acts 1. That's not, this is not about elders, Why? Because this is about specifically apostles, capital A. This is an unrepeatable thing. The qualifications for the apostle, the people that are with Jesus, have been with them, spent time, witnessed the resurrection, there's never going to be these guys again. So this, this is the foundation of the church. So we see this list of 11. Let's look at this list of 12, and I want to point out a couple things real quick. I think we'll have it up here. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16 and hopefully you could read that there, but you see he starts naming the, the apostles there, right? Starting with Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, and etc. Okay, and then look how the list ends. Verse 16, Judas, the son of James, and then the other guy, <laughs> the other Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So clarifying this guy is not that guy, and ending the list with this one who's going to betray but I also want you to notice up in verse 12, verse 13, when the day came, Jesus called his disciples and Jesus chose from them 12. And that's, that's Luke pointing out that these guys weren't the best educated. They weren't the, the only 12 that graduated my you know, Jesus seminary course. He called them by name and said, you're an apostle, you're an apostle. That was Jesus' choice. You see that? Okay. Now, in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 2, it says that uh, through the Holy Spirit, the apostles were chosen, right? So that is God's choice, and the reason why they cast lots is to leave it in Jesus' lap. This is a Jesus choice, and I don't dare go, you know what, Matthias, it's too, this is not even, this isn't elders, this isn't deacons, this isn't church membership, okay? This is so special, so unique, it's got to stay in God's lap, and the only way we could think to do that after, after some basic requirements. Everybody God chose was a witness of the resurrection, spent time with us, all those things. Two guys, leaving in God's lap. So that's why we don't cast lots here to make decisions, okay? It was about fixing this problem of 11, 12 becoming 11. Jesus chose, chose 12. And that 12-ness is important for the foundation of the church. One more passage here, Luke 22. So still in the prequel to the book of Acts, Luke chapter 22, 28, 29, and 30. Jesus is saying, you are those, he's talking to those apostles, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, 
you can take that to go, oh, this is just about ethnic Israel. Fast forward to the part where it gets about me. (laughs) Or, as I've argued from the book of Revelation, you could see the 12 tribes of Israel as representing all of God's people. Okay, all of God's people. And this is starting on a foundation that's built on 12 rulers, 12 sort of new patriarchs. Okay, here's, I'm trying my best not to, go into full professor mode. But here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. Jesus is serving up a foundation to build his church and the foundation has a crack in it. That's the problem. The twelveness is the foundation and it's already got a crack. That You're already missing a cornerstone. There's already a brick falling out and you haven't even started building the framework yet. Right? That's the problem. I can spend a lot more time explaining that uh, but I want to move ahead. But this is the issue. Will the church succeed if the foundation's cracked already? Can the church advance if there's betrayals, fallouts, failures? Even leaders handpicked by Jesus himself can betray. So Peter wants to encourage his brothers and explain to them that this was meant to be. God isn't surprised. God isn't taken aback but that he's provided this foundational ministry of these 12, founding the church on this base, this foundation, and it actually doesn't have cracks in it. Things that look like cracks, things that look like missing bricks, God does that on purpose and then supplies the answer and he just keeps building. Nothing can take down the church. So he's got a hole. You've got uh, this report of Judas, who, verse 17, he was numbered among us. He did share in this ministry, that ministry being that 12-man foundation. He did have a seat at the table, but then he acquired, he betrayed Jesus. He acquired this field, falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. Can I just take a quick time out and explain? Because a lot of people go, wait, I thought he hung himself contradictions right the bible has contradictions does anybody remember the the singer rich mullins right how did he die your mind might be racing back to 1998 or 99 or something like that okay now someone might go i remember how rich mullins died he was run over by a semi on i-30 something like that heading south. And someone else goes, no, 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 I remember how he died. He was ejected from his Jeep. Wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was ejected from his Jeep, and that's what killed him. Is it possible that both are telling the truth? It's not hard. He was ejected from his Jeep, and then he was run over by a semi. The autopsy report says he was killed by the ejection, not the semi. What? It's not hard to put that together here. Is it possible that Judas hung himself over a precipice, but eventually the rope snapped, eventually the birds feeding on him, eventually his body sitting out in the hot sun, his bowels opened up and gushed out? Okay, Luke is using that for a very specific reason. He doesn't want to just say, hey, he hung himself. He wants to give a very specific reason because he's showing you how he's fulfilling Psalm 69. So let's, let's put Psalm 69 up here so you can see 
Peter's not off his rocker. So Peter's reflecting on Psalm 69. And you see the first verse, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Now most of us have been Christians for a while, we're like, oh, Jesus. Right? Be Jesus fulfilling that, okay? It's not like David is in a trance or he's being teleported through time and he's seeing Jesus, but what David is writing is fulfilled in Jesus being given the sour drink. So we're, we're familiar with that one. Every Good Friday, you know, uh, we, we think of these kinds of themes. But he's going, it's not just about Jesus, it's the things that surround Jesus too. So, verse 22, let their own table, who's they? People who betray God's son, people who betray the Messiah, people who betray the king, those that are wicked, that are, that are the enemies of God's kingdom, let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May their, here's the verse he quotes. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. So he's saying there's this pattern of betrayal, this pattern of enemies. They, they try to set a trap, verse 22, but the trap that they set actually comes back on them. And then that happened with Judas. He set this trap for betrayal. He gained these coins. Afterwards, he's going, this is really not worth what I did. And the trap that he set for Jesus to be hung on a tree, he ends up hanging himself. Jesus survives. He doesn't. The trap doesn't work. So Peter sees the pattern. I mean, we can, I mean he, they set their own table, uh, and, and that's kind of part of the, the snare, the trap. Uh, Judas betrays when he gets up from the table and figuratively speaking. So he literally got up from the table to betray Jesus. He figuratively got up from that table of the 12 and he left that slot. That's why the camp is left desolate in verse 25. We can see other things like uh, verse 23. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Uh, The CEB translation says, make their insides tremble continually. And I wonder if that's why Luke says, yeah, this guy's insides trembled all right. All right, so he's seeing Judas fulfilling this pattern of betrayal. It's the deepest, darkest betrayal you can think of. This is worse than any pastor running away with the church secretary, stealing money from the church, as, as, much, as painful as that is. This is worse than that, a, a straight betrayal of Jesus Christ himself, handing him over to be killed. Can the church bounce back from that? Because if it can, it can bounce back from anything. And Peter's saying, not only can the church bounce back from it, it was spoken of in Scripture already. This is, this is not new. This is not, this is not a surprise. This is something that the Holy Spirit spoke of beforehand. All right, so it's not a surprise. This is something that is calculated into God's plan and what is the fix? The fix is, he, now he cites Psalm 109. We won't look at that, but you can look at it on your own time. But Psalm 109, he says, let another take his office. So that's when they figured out that it's got to be someone who's been with us from the beginning, um, from the baptism of John till the day he was taken up from us, is verse 22, someone who's a witness of the resurrection. And then they got down to Joseph and Matthias. They're like, Lord, please. Right? We put this in your hands, they cast lots and landed on Matthias. The passage is not about Matthias. The passage is not about 
we just got to give you this. So if, when we talk about Matthias later, you're not like, man, where did that guy come from? So let me give you a little Matthias preview. It has nothing to do with Matthias. What it has to do is this problem, crack in the foundation, is God going to fix it? Yes. He knew about the crack. He did it to build an even stronger foundation to show you no cracks can ever disrupt the foundation of God's advancing church. No fallout, no betrayals, even satanic opposition. I want to remind you that Judas acted on his own accord, but when he got up from that table, uh, Scripture tells us Satan entered into him. And so it was, it was satanic. And now when we read the book of Revelation, we see, see Satan attacking the church, that it is the dragon that is behind these attacks. Will the dragon succeed? Can the dragon succeed? What does the dragon do to succeed? Well, in the beginning of Revelation, you see the church infiltrated with false teaching. You see the church infiltrated with immorality. And so it's easy for us to be distracted by all of the threats from without. But Peter doesn't stand up in the meeting and go, hey, we're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, but our real problem is this guy in charge over here. Our real problem is Herod. Our real problem is Pontius Pilate. Our real problem is Rome. Our real problem is our own foundation, and we're missing somebody. An inside betrayal is a problem. And I don't know about you if your heart hurts when you hear about other churches imploding because the pastor failed or Christians who were with us for a time and then walked away or fell away. They fell into some false teaching. They fell into some immorality. And that is disheartening. And what this passage is here to help us understand is Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, and they do jump off in chapter 2. I mean, you read from chapter 2 forward, it's this all-star cast of Christians, some of them killed, some of them tortured, uh, they're preaching, even non-preachers are preaching, unseminary, you know, trained uh, people that are out there because they're bold, uh, because they have the Holy Spirit, and so it gets action-packed, but none of that happens if we don't understand what God is doing here at the end of chapter 1, which is, no one will take away from my foundation, no act of betrayal will ever disrupt the church, the church will advance, beginning in Jerusalem, and going out to the ends of the earth. And I think we should take courage from that. If we can look at a passage like this and many others and trust that the Lord will advance his kingdom even in the face of failures, even in the face of fallouts, even if it's a satanic setback, the church will continue to advance. That should be confidence-inspiring, confidence-inducing, I don't know how many of you are, are with me in this. I, I feel like sometimes I'm not that bold because I'm like, ah, maybe the church, not CFC, but maybe churches, you know, maybe we're dwindling. I keep hearing reports of how hard it is to find a pastor these days, that people aren't wanting to enter in, into ministry much these days. Seminaries are shrinking, they're expensive. Is Jesus' church going backwards? As you drive along and you see churches uh, proclaiming things on the front and you're like, I don't know if that, that, Jesus wouldn't proclaim that. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? And you feel like you lost another one. But then you look at a passage like this 
and you realize, oh, God's not up there going, oh, Gabriel, Gabriel, can you give me a report? How many churches left? Uh." No, he's got this. The church will advance. And if I know that, I know I'm playing on a winning team. Not only am I playing on a winning team, I'm playing on a team that can't lose, actually. That actually can't lose. So if we realize we're playing for a successful team, a team that can't lose, I think that means you can step into the batter's box and swing with a little more confidence. A little more confidence. Whatever players we lose, whatever coaches betray us, this is a winning team. This is a winning team. That means we can just play our roles. I'm not an apostle, capital A. You may not be a preacher, but we all have our roles to play in this advancing kingdom church, right? This enterprise that God has put here. And as we go through the book of Revelation, it can be discouraging in all the darkness that we are surrounded by. Outside the church, inside the church. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking stuff. It's heartbreaking to hear about people who are fooled or deceived and don't make it in the end but we are not driven to a kind of despair that causes us to check out, right? Instead, we go, wait a minute. God is doing something here. He's advancing his, his kingdom, and it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. As many have said, this, this, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It could easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's how it begins, and you see the Holy Spirit doing his thing throughout normal people, men and women that are, that are normal right? Mixed bag of different types and they're empowered to uh, start this church. Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people come. It's not because he's so polished. It's not because he was so prepared. It's because he was empowered and he's empowered by the same Holy Spirit that you're empowered by. And so we don't want to cower. We don't want to be so inundated by all the things we see on Facebook and social media and what churches are doing and what's going on with seminaries to cause us to cool in this mission that God has given us. Let's close with looking at verse 8. This is the promise that's given to all of us. Chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Chicagoland area is one of those ends of the earth that they didn't, couldn't imagine at the time where they received this. The ends of the earth on their map was not as wide as it is now. But here we are, picking up on that same mission. We're also witnesses, and we also are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take this out and proclaim it. So here's my encouragement to you, church. Uh, All the difficulties we see out there, there's more to come, right? Whether it's from inside the church or outside the church, there's more coming because it's always been here. There have always been challenges, difficulties, and things that will rip the heart right out of your chest and you need to take a breather. But on the other side of that, there's always success, 
there's always victories. God continues to advance his church no matter what. So the person you're nervous to talk to about the Lord, don't be nervous. Imagine the worst fallout. That person hates you now. The worst fallout. You did the right thing at your job and then you lost your job because of it. Read through the book of Acts and see how they put the word of God first and everything else. They just let it shake out. They just let it shake out with a kind of crazy confidence that God is going to make sure that he takes care of the collateral damage. Don't you worry about it. Don't be disheartened to the point of not being active. Get out there and be the witness you're supposed to be. Let us be the witnesses God has called us to be and not worry and not be fearful of backlash or or fallout or taking two steps back. Let God, let let Jesus play the perfect chess game he's laying out. Just be the pawn and and move to the square that God wants you to move to. And for, for all of us, however different shape that takes, for all of us it's at least being a witness of Christ. Um, and God guarantees he'll be successful. He told his disciples, from now on, you will catch men. And uh, for those of you who've ever gone fishing and then never went back, it's probably similar to me. You just got tired of standing there on the shore with just a rod in your hand, you know. Uh, but if somehow I knew that if I go fishing, I'm definitely going to come home with some stuff to cook for dinner, i go. But that's what Jesus told his disciples. He didn't say, from now on, I'm going to make you fishers, but, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. But I'll at least give you a net to cast. You will catch men. That's the success they were asking for. And Jesus says, oh, it's going to come, but it's not, I'm not going to come on the clouds with my white horse quite yet. We're going to build this from the ground up. It's going to start like a mustard seed, and it's going to eventually grow into that huge tree, and it is going to always grow, and nothing's going to stop it. That's what you're a part of. That's your legacy. And that's what we take forward in whatever ends of the earth we find ourselves in. Your neighborhood, your office, dinner table, friends, family, neighbors. Let's ask him for grace. Fathers, we look at a passage like this. Father, difficulties in it and it's citing the Old Testament. We figure out what's going on with Judas. But at the end of all of it, Lord, we are thankful that Satan's plan to betray your son backfired and actually created a way for death to be defeated, for your kingdom to advance through Christ, and that Jesus ascended so we could receive the Holy Spirit in a way that causes the church to explode all over the globe. And we take heart in the fact that no matter how many Christians are persecuted, Uh, You find ways to expand it and strengthen it and grow it, Lord. We want to see conversions. We want to see baptisms. We want to see discipleship happening, Father. Help us to not grow weary or faint-hearted. Help us to not um, uh, be fearful or cowardly. Help us to not be um, spiritually introverted and just kind of biding our time, but instead to be proactive, intentional, Uh, Help us to pick up where the book of Acts left off and talk to that person, Um, have that conversation, explain our position, describe the hope that we have, give reasons for it, and we pray that we would see fruit come of it, Lord. Maybe some doors slam in our face, but somebody was just waiting for us to ask. 
And uh, we pray that as a result, we would be able to look back and see all the fruit that you bring about uh, because we step out there as witnesses, encouraged by the fact that we're on a, a team that can't lose. Father, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in the